The following sermon is from Christ Church Port Orange. For more information, find us online at joinwithjesus.org. Thanks for listening. We're, we're, um, we're taking the month of January and uh, we're gonna do our DNA series. And I know some of you are already familiar with this and some of you are like, oh, I knew I should have gone to Thrive. I knew it. Uh, <laughs> it's another membership series. I already know this one. Um, I thought about, I thought about um, not doing it the last minute. Um, this is a, I love this series. It really is the DNA of what makes Christ Church, Christ Church. And when anybody comes here and they go, hey, how do you get involved? How do you become a member of this church? And people are serious about joining a church because um, we don't do like formal membership. I always say, well, start with the DNA series. Listen to those four messages. You're really gonna get the heart and soul of who Christ Church is and what we're trying to do. And um, even just this past week, people were asking me and I was saying, hey, don't bother listening to them. I'm gonna re-preach them again. Um, and I listened to them uh, recently and I thought, man, these are actually still really good. We should just keep this and not do this in January. Uh, but two things sprung to my mind and motivated me to spend uh, the, the five Sundays of January uh, in this material. One is our world has really changed since 2017. I was listening to myself and some of the things I was saying, I would not say the same way. And uh, we've got some serious concerns and problems that we are facing that we just weren't facing five years ago. And so I think the material hasn't changed, but it's application that needs to deepen and be current for the situations that we're facing. And uh, so that warrants it alone. Um, But also, um, not everybody's going to go spend more time listening to more sermons, and you're going to come 1.7 Sundays a month, and you're looking to connect with God in meaningful ways. And so I really want to harness the fact that we're all here together in this moment. And uh, this is a pivotal moment. This is a pivotal year for us. We turned seven years old this year, which is really exciting. Uh, Lord willing, we'll have, we'll have uh, well, eight of you are excited about that. <laughs> Uh, Lord willing, we'll start construction and expansion so we don't have to just keep adding services forever. So that's exciting. So there's big things that are happening in the life of our church. Um, But we don't exist for buildings and uh, we don't exist to get older and celebrate ourselves. We exist to honor God and to be a blessing to our community and to create a home for people, uh, to find a family, find a community and grow in their faith and grow in their walk with God. And so that is what we're celebrating. And we, we do that in unusual ways. And so this may look like a lot of other churches that you've been to, the music and the lights and the seats and the building and the guy preaching and the service times, all that can seem very normal. But as you become a part of Christ Church, you'll notice there's some things we do that are just different. And so this is a really good opportunity for us to explain why we're doing those things on purpose that get you to kind of think about that. And then also for some people to kind of evaluate, is that what I want to be a part of? Because we don't want to do a bait and switch on you. We don't want you to be here for a year and make some friends and be like, this is weird. I'm not, I don't like this. So this is a great opportunity for you to like evaluate that. That's also like a weird thing to say because most churches want everybody to come and everybody to stay. But I only want you to stay if this is what you want to do with your life. Can I get amen? So that's what I'm going to do this morning. And I just wanted to read Matthew 16. I woke up in the middle of the night and um, I felt like the Holy Spirit was just saying, read Matthew 16. And let's just, I'm not going to preach on it, but I want you to just to, to hit you a minute before we begin this conversation together. So um, Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of man is? Speaking of himself. And they said, some say John the Baptist, who had been beheaded by this point. Others say Elijah, the expected prophet. Others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am. Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living 
God. This is a big moment in human history right here. Verse 17, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. God, we thank you that you are building something for us, with us, in us, and through us that is unshakable and eternal. God, we thank you that what you are doing in the church is meant to rattle the gates of hell and set the prisoners free. God, we thank you that this morning, we don't just come to church because that's what we do. We don't check it off of our list. It's not merely a part of our ongoing personal development, but we have been invited into the kingdom of the most high God. We are a part of something that is deeper and stronger and more real than the physical and more enduring than life itself. And God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the reality of that. God, that the reality of your kingdom at work within us would alter the way that we work and live and relate to other people and work through conflict and work on our marriages and our parenting and grandparenting and relationships. God, we thank you, God, that you have done the impossible and there is so much for us to explore and benefit from simply because of who Jesus is to us. And so God, I pray for every single person in my hearing, on site, streaming online, listening at any period of time. God, I pray that we would come to know deep down, Lord Jesus, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And as we follow you and you make your home in us, God, we pray that we would become your people and your presence on this planet. God, our world drastically needs a transformation. God, we need to be made into the humanity that you designed and desire. And so God, I pray that you would empower us, fuel us, strengthen and direct us. God, mobilize your church. God, for your glory, for our good, and for the good of this broken world. Would you do that for us a little bit this morning? In Jesus' mighty name, all God's people said, Amen. Somebody say DNA. DNA. Somebody say deoxyribonucleic acid. (laughs) Just kidding. That's why we say DNA. Uh, But that's what it is. Uh, DNA is the building blocks of life for all of you who saw Jurassic Park in the movie theater. Uh, That's the little school of DNA. If you want to go home and look for that Jurassic Park scene, it'll tell you everything you really need to know about DNA. But it's the building blocks of life. Uh, Every single one of us has a DNA code within our body called a genome. And inside that genome is everything that makes you uniquely you. Did you know that? DNA is comprised of of four amino acids or bases, the building blocks that are kind of given these names with single letters, G-A-T-C. I don't know if you guys know this from the movie Gattaca. Did you guys guys watch that in like 1996? No, I was the only nerd watching the genetic code movies. So the word, the word Gattaca is just spelled with those four bases. It's one of the words you can spell. Anyway, it's very simple. And it's just the order of these four bases that makes up the genome. And that's what makes you, you. 
Now, I don't know if you remember this from middle school, but we share about 95% of our human DNA with chimpanzees, sorry, making them our closest primate cousin. Do you guys remember being told this? This is where some of the evolutionary biology comes from. They didn't tell you that you share about 50% of your DNA with cabbage also. So I don't know if that's like a second cousin or how this works, but the reality is the way that God created the world was for everything to be mapped to grow into its unique expression through the use of DNA. And in fact, you share 99.9% of your DNA with every other human on the planet. And you, you share 99.95% of your DNA with your family members. And it's in that little sliver of difference is where all of the creativity of, of life exists, all the diversity of God's creation in these little tiny slivers. But God built the human body to, uh, to grow and to express this, these individual characteristics. And it's really brilliant when you can look at something and go, from its DNA, this is what it is, this is where it came from, this is where it's going. And as I thought about kind of church membership and what Christ Church is and what we're trying to be, DNA seemed to be a really great way of encapsulating that, to say, if you're going to reproduce what we are, these are the essential things you need and in this order. And it just so happened that we had four of those things. And so historically, I've taken four Sundays or four lessons to go over kind of the four components of the DNA of Christ Church and along the way to express how those things influence our methodology and our practices, the things we do, the things we don't do, why we do the things we do, and so on. And so I'm going to do that. Um, but one of the things that I decided to make good on with this updated uh, series is that I always tried to push our church story kind of into the front of the first sermon and it took about 20 minutes. And so I thought, why, since I have five weeks in January, why not just take a week and, um, and not start right away with building block number one? And so anytime you start a relationship with anybody, you want to know their story, right? Anybody recently dating, getting more serious in your relationship, you want to get the backstory, you want to meet the parents, you want to know where somebody came from. And so relationship really is all about stories. And so when, when someone decides to join Christ Church, we start with referring them to the DNA series. But then when we say, after you've done that, and you, if you still want to play ball with us, uh, let's have an appointment. I want to hear your story. I want to know where you came from and, um, and uh, how God's led you and what, what intersection has created this meeting. And so um, I want to share a little bit of our, of our story with you. Uh, it may trouble some of you, so I'm just wanting you to be prepared for that. I'm not going to make it rosy and pretty, uh, but I want you to get the real deal. You guys ready for the real deal story? So uh, Tiffany and I ha have been in three distinct periods of Christian ministry, and we have been in leadership in the church uh, my, my entire adult life. So in the year 2000, when I was 18 years old, uh, I felt this distinct call from God to pastor. Now, that was a surprise to me, and it was a big surprise to everyone who knew me. Now, some of you are surprised now, but if you rewind the tape to when I was 18, shocker, nobody saw that one coming, all right? Don't worry, there's pictures next week. I'll, I'll prove it to you. And so here, here I am, 18 years old, single. Tiffany and I had not met. And um, I started pursuing what I believe was God calling me to, to pastor and to preach. Uh, I reached out to the pastor of the church that I had grown up in and told him what God had told me. And because it was so unbelievable, the Holy Spirit actually revealed it to him even before he told me. And he was actually waiting for me to come talk to him, which was a first big sign for me that God was doing this and I wasn't making things up in my brain or it wasn't the beans I'd eaten the night before, whatever. And so, and so we began this journey. Well, Tiffany and I met a few months later. And at the time, 
I was so convinced that this was what I was supposed to do that I actually kind of told her, like, if you can't do this with me, I'm going to break up with you. Like, that's how serious I was. It was a real jerk move and really dumb. I don't know why I did that. Um, because marriage is more important than calling. Can I get an amen? Uh, if I don't do this anymore, I hope to stay married. <laughs> but we make mistakes and we're stupid when we're 18, and that's why you shouldn't be a pastor when you're 18 years old, or at least they should have insurance for that, I think. So from 2000 to 2010, we served in the same church. We went away for seminary. We came back and I kind of went from the volunteer guy, youth pastor guy, to the pastor in training, to the associate pastor, um, and just tried to learn everything that I could. But like all of you who grew up in church, uh, I had a church story. And just like we don't know that our family's weird until we move away and meet other people and their families, you don't know that your church is weird until you grow up a little bit and have other experiences. And um, so I, I know labels don't mean a lot to a lot of people, but if you're a church person, they do. And so, you know, we're an evangelical, Protestant, some say reformed, maybe continuationist or charismatic church. Those are like the labels people are looking for. What do those things mean? Some of you don't even care. Um, but the church that I grew up in was a very rigid kind of dogmatic church. In fact, the membership class that we had in, in that church was 16 weeks long. And if you didn't do every class and the associated paperwork and forms, then you couldn't join the church. So you had to do all 16. If you missed one, you had to wait for it to start again and then come back in on that lesson. They're very, very serious. It was this big binder. And um, when I was a young preacher, I loved, I loved preaching. I loved to make prepare a sermon and preach it. And it's great. I get to talk and you guys listen and nobody asks me any questions and then you leave. So when you're 18, you get to say everything you know and then people just go. It's a very non-threatening environment. Membership class, however, you're teaching all of this like 16 chapters of dogmatism and I'm reading out of a book of stuff I didn't write and people are then going, why, why this? And the last church I was at that and I was terrified because I was just faking it. I didn't know half the stuff that I was teaching those people and I'm learning it for myself. Um, but it got me asking those questions and seeking to answer those questions. And so in 2010, that church that we were a part of just had a real season of duress and it was, it was very unhealthy and it was kind of about to fall apart. And everybody kind of pinned all of the fault on the lead pastor and he bailed. Um, he, he said, this is, this is too much, this is too hard, I'm out. He was having health problems. I don't blame him at all uh, for, for the kind of environment that that was. And um, so at the ripe old age of 28, I was um, invited to be the lead pastor of that church. And so I started the second phase of ministry where I was now the leader uh, preaching every Sunday and trying to lead the church. And in that period of time from 2010 to 2015, I'm truly trying to reevaluate all of the dogmatism of those 16 weeks and all the things that we uh, believed in and kind of forced people to either take on as a belief for themselves or, or this would be an exit for you to not join the church because this is how we do things around here. And, and so I started feeling like, man, this is a lot of a lot of really crazy stuff that you have to believe to be a part of this church. And so I kind of whittled the 16 weeks down to 12. And then the next year I whittled it down to like eight. And then I got it to six. And I started going, well, that's not really that important. And we can have diversity here and kind of like chop and chop and chop and chop and chop. Um, but still doing the same thing the same way. And I kind of came to an epiphany during that period of time that churches typically are set up that way where they have their belief system and that belief system creates kind of a border or a fence. And if you agree with all those beliefs, then you come inside the fence and it's safe in there, isn't it? You're doing all the right things the right way. You believe all the right things. You're definitely going to heaven, that's for sure. I don't know about those other people outside the fence, but you're good. And uh, there's this kind of sense of security. And, and I, I remember during that period of time, um, I heard this analogy. Somebody was talking about farms 
And they're saying small farms use fences to keep all of their cattle safe and protected on their own property. But when you get to some of these places in different parts of the world, like Australia or Africa, or even the southwestern part of the United States, these farms can be hundreds and thousands of acres. And there's no way to fence that. I mean, you would spend your entire life just fixing fences all the time in order to keep everybody inside of this bordered, bordered perimeter. And I felt like that. I remember listening to this and going, man, I feel like, I, as a pastor, I feel like all I do is mend a fence and have, see people going over the fence and trying to get people in the fence and having these conversations to talk to people about why they're wrong about this thing and why they should believe this way. And, and I was like, this does not seem right in how I want to do things. And then I, I, I learned that these big, huge farms that they can't be fenced, instead of doing that, what they do is they put the food and the water at the center of the property. I drill a well and all of the food, all of the water is right there. And so the, the cattle, whether it's you know, cows or horses or llamas, or I don't even know, they'll wander off a certain distance on this property, but they always come back to the center because that's where the nourishment is. And when I heard that, I thought, man, I really feel like that's what church is supposed to be like. They were supposed to put the nourishment at the center and everybody's supposed to be making progress and coming back towards the middle. And it doesn't matter if you're from the, the, the northeast quadrant or the southwest quadrant or where you'd wandered off to or how far away you are. Man, if all of us are moving to the center, then you don't need a fence. And so I, I told the elders, I'm going to eliminate the membership and we're just going to do these four things and we're going to talk about what really matters and we're going to put Jesus at the center and we're going to see the church grow and people are going to come. And, um, and so they all left. All the elders left. Uh, because the reality is, is that a lot of people really want fences. Uh, they really feel safe inside the fence. The idea that you would put anything at the center and then let anybody make their way to the center is frightening to them. And I came to the conclusion that at that period of time in 2015, that as a leader, you can lead for growth or you can lead for control, but you can't do both. And fences are a great way to lead for control. If you want to make sure everybody in your church believes the same stuff, fences. If you want to make sure everybody in your church behaves appropriately, fences. And really, that's what excommunication ends up being for a lot of church traditions. It's just a backdoor of leverage to go, if you don't conform, you're out. And so those are the kind of things. We had a whole lesson on church discipline, one of our 16 weeks. Watch out. We're watching you. We're watching you. We're going to get you. And so we, uh, we decided to take down the fences, and uh, everybody who wasn't comfortable with that left. And that entered our third phase of ministry, which started on May 17th, 2015. On May the 3rd, I stood up in this room. We were still in this room. Not as many people as this were in that little church at the time. And the elders had told me they were leaving, and I invited all of them to come share. None of them did. They all sat in the back of the room with their arms crossed, staring at me and shaking their heads. And uh, all of their friends, you could see the little clusters of all the angry people. And so I just pleaded with everybody to, to, this is not what God wanted the church to look like. God wants his church to be people who are filled with faith towards him, who are patient and loving and kind, enduring with other people, uh, who, who are hungry for his word and his spirit, but have grace and kindness in their hearts towards other people whose journey doesn't look like theirs. And um, I invited everybody to come back and we were going to start over and we were going to start this particular way. And um, two weeks later, we started over. Uh, I really wish we had taken a break because we never took a break. Uh, we literally, I went from one unhealthy church to a brand new church plant with Tiffany and just like that. And uh, what, you know who came back? Uh, 49 people came back. 
in 2015 of that original church. And three people who was their first Sunday, they were like, what just happened in here? You know? <laughs> and so that, that we felt like God was calling us to lead even in the middle of what was excruciatingly painful for us. The, the, some of these people, I had been their pastor, their friend in the same church with them for 15 years. And they were like, no, we're not doing this. We don't have anything to do with this. And it was really painful, really hard. Um, but we felt like God was saying, nope, I want you to, to strive forward. And I'm glad he did too. I'm glad he did seven years ago when I was 33 years old because I just wouldn't have the energy for it now. At 40, I'd be like, sorry, God, I'm out. Peace. <laughs> Pick a younger person. I need to rest. That's what I would have told him. Um, but, but over the last seven years, uh, we've sought to build for growth and we've sought to put Jesus at the center of everything. And we've invited everyone to come to the nourishing water and the bread of life from whatever angle, from with whatever baggage, whatever fears, whatever habits, whatever patterns, and to come experience the relentless and steadfast love of God alongside of us. And we have been able to, Tiffany and I together, have been able to observe the transformation of people's lives. People who had, who had left church, the de-churched, I mean, I love it when I watch de-church people come back to church, man. Some of you are here this morning. I already saw you in the lobby. <clears throat> yeah, I saw you. And uh, yeah, I, there's a look. There's a, I cannot believe I'm doing this again. Look, what is this going to be like? Uh, okay, here we go. New people. But I really applaud you. I do, because uh, all of us have a church story. I could give you more of the details. Uh, I mentioned to you that we had this kind of, fence in 16 weeks and it's very controlling, but it was like beyond that level of controlling. It wasn't just like, these are the things you need to believe and do controlling. It was like, if you, if, if you did anything, you got the pastor's permission. Like I, I remember we didn't like make a large purchase without getting counsel. Uh, we, we were, Tiffany and I had our engagement postponed because leaders felt like we weren't mature enough. I mean, we're talking about intrusive uh, overbearing, controlling leadership. Some of you come from, from backgrounds that are like that. And it, doesn't, it, doesn't, it didn't look that ugly on the outside. Everything was all nice and rosy and said well usually. And you know, there's a lot of fakery and snobbery going on. But ultimately, <laughs> other people were controlling and dictating the course of our life. And we just knew that wasn't right. Um, and so as we started to lead for growth and walk in that openness and freedom, um, it shed a lot of people out of our lives. And so the trouble is when you come into a church like ours, it kind of looks like every other church. And if you're kind of going, where's the membership material? And what do you guys believe about this? And what about this and this and this and this and this and this and this? And, um, but the reality is, is that we use that farming analogy for our approach to church. And so we don't use the bounded set. I don't know if you guys saw that picture. It looked like you did over, over my head of uh, these are the in people and these are the out people. Uh, I grew up in that. It's not helpful or healthy in any way, shape, or form. And I will not spend the rest of my life trying to convince you to come in my fence. Uh, definitely not going to do that. But instead, we have the centered set. Now, if you notice in the frame of the centered set, there's people in various positions to center and little arrows pointing because you can just kind of be free to roam. You can, you can come in and check things out and then just go off the reservation for a while and then mosey yourself right back in. And we see a lot of that at Christ Church and that may be discomforting to some of you, but this is kind of what we have experienced. And the reality is, is that we are continuing to hold up God's priorities and the truth about who Jesus is and invite everybody in every season, every walk of life from every background to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. 
And so over the next four weeks, I'm going to kind of take you through what those things look like and what, what those, those blocks, those building blocks of our DNA are. And part of the reason for that too is we want to be a multiplying church. Uh, we're a young church, but by the time a church is 15, 20 years old, we should have grown enough and have the stability and the structure to be able to launch smaller communities and to, to, re, uh, to duplicate or to replicate what it is we are in other places where we can't reach. And so you have to be able to take this DNA and give it to other people and let them use their gifts the way God's wired them uh, to bring leadership and mission to other communities. And so that's kind of partly what this exists to do. So here's what I'd like to do with a little bit of time uh, that we have left. Uh, instead of getting into any of that content, I want to give you uh, the Christchurch. Uh, sometimes I used to call this Christchurch 2.0 because we actually changed the name to Christchurch right before it fell apart. And um, it was too many other things to do, so we just left it. People ask me, why did you name this church Christchurch? I'm like, I didn't. I just, that's the name we had. So, uh, but the Christchurch, we're sticking with it. It works. Uh, we love Christ, and this is a church, so it's pretty self-explanatory. Um, but this series is not going to be about soteriology, pneumatology, ecclesiology, missiology, all the ologies. Uh, this class series is not going to be about all the isms. Uh, I know if you were in any type of membership class before, you talked about fundamentalism and materialism, relativism. And we're not talking about the world's isms, racism and sexism and the other isms. We're talking about the church isms, which are uh, much smaller. Um, ultimately, I find that the smaller your fences and the bigger your fences get and the more you try to get people in them, what you end up with is uh, division, contention, and ultimately departure. And so most churches who set up this way, their front door is as big as the back. The church stays real small and about the same size. And it's just always kind of a recurring group of newish people because after you've been in that environment for a while and you've been picked on, criticized, controlled, and manipulated, you go, I just can't do this anymore. And then you go out and that's why you roll into another church with those big eyes like, why am I doing this again? And so we're not going to do that. This is who we are trying to be. Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. My church, that's the first time Jesus uses that word. It's the first time church is used in the New Testament. It was a word that Jesus grabbed a hold of and used and has gained great trajectory up to this point. And he is the one who is building. Do you know that? We're not building anything. We're not. We're following the great shepherd, the good shepherd as under shepherds, and we are being a part of what he is already doing. I trust that you will find in this series that everything that I give to you is founded in scripture and in keeping with the whole of scripture. But these are the values that uh, have come to be the things that we hold on to as a church and that you will find to be the things that dictate the decisions we make, the things we choose to do and not to do, and how we interact with whoever is here for however long. Here they are. You guys ready? Uh, we believe God's called us to be, number one, a loving people. The way we say that is people are more important than things. It's very simple. You can take that home. It works on your four-year-old also. Uh, it's not complicated. All of, us, all of us have a tendency to want to treasure uh, our preferences, our purposes, our possessions, the things that we think will make us happy, and we all actually are living a life, if it's in the flesh, trying to grasp control uh, and control the people around us. And what the love of God teaches us is that we can receive everything we need from him and then live open-handed towards other people. And so the way this gets expressed is that people are more important than things. 
And so if we have to choose between helping a person or doing or buying a thing, we're going to be helping a person every single time. Uh, people are always more important than things. We're never going to sacrifice relationships or groups of people for the sake of somebody else's preferences. And everyone says amen until it's your preferences on the chopping block, let me tell you. But this, is a, this dictates how we're going to do ministry. People are more important than things. John 15, 11 to 13, Jesus says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. And so we are committed as leaders and as a church to being a place where it can be said of us by other people who experience us that to them, people are more important than things. And unfortunately, there's too many religious environments where that's just simply not the case. And so we are going to stand out and be different, uh, be a loving people. Secondly, we're going to be a patient people. This is not the most popular of the fruit of the Spirit, patience. Uh, usually your New Year's sermon is not going to be on patience because when you want to grow in the area of patience, usually God makes you wait. But listen, Part of the reason we're a patient people has to do with loving other people and being patient with others because growth happens slowly, doesn't it? Uh, there is no fast forward button on spiritual development. Uh, one of the reasons I have great love in my heart for all those people who departed in 2015 and had to go find other churches where they could be safe inside of their fences um, was the fact that for 15 years, they were patient with me as I practiced on them. <laughs> as a pastor. I made so many mistakes and did so many things wrong and said stupid and dumb stuff that didn't help. And there were so many people who just endured with me personally while I was under spiritual development from the platform trying to lead. And so I have a special place in my heart, even those people which I could be resentful or bitter that they left. Uh, but instead, I, I'm grateful to God for the patience that they've shown towards me. And I want to be that kind of person. And so the way we say that is that trajectory is more important than proximity. Trajectory is more important than proximity. It's easy to find a bunch of people, 50 to 100 people that are kind of a lot like you, and then all choose to do church together in a way you can agree upon. That is not hard, actually. Uh, that's why you know, there's hundreds of thousands of churches across our nation that are 50 to 100 people and everybody dresses the same way and everybody talks the same way and everybody does the same things and everybody doesn't do the same things in public. These are the kind of environments where you're going to find, because uh, it's easy, it's just easy. What's hard is to create an environment where everybody's welcome to develop at their own pace and the goal is just that everybody's moving towards the center. That's what's hard. And so when somebody comes in and they're dressed nice and they talk well and they know all the Christian stuff and they read the right books, that's great. We're not saying proximity is bad. If you're close to center, if you're close to Jesus, fantastic. But if you're that person and then you just start to, your arrow starts to turn away and you start going in a different direction just because you dress right, look right, talk right, know the right stuff and have this, the good story, that's not something that we celebrate. When in fact, somebody who's very far away from God um, and doesn't, that doesn't, doesn't know what the future holds for them, but is, is trying Jesus and is coming towards him. If they're moving in his direction, we're going to invest resources and time and energy, and we're going to celebrate that movement because trajectory is more important than proximity. And this makes us a patient people. It means you're going to come in and there's going to be people that you interact with. That you're like, wow, they are really far, but we don't care that they're far. We care which direction they're moving. Can I get amen? And so that's another one. It's easy to say, it's easy to say, yes, that's wonderful. That's great. 
until you drop off your child and someone with a neck tattoo is in there. You're like, oh, no. Have they been vetted? The answer is yes, because we do background checks on all of our children's workers. But we all do it. We judge on externals and we worry and we wonder, don't we? And so if we're gonna be a people where you can be a part of this church and have been in BSF for 40 years or in your first week of recovery, that takes a special commitment, doesn't it? And to make all those people feel welcomed and apart, which brings me to number three, a welcoming people. Um, it's easy to be friendly, and there's a big difference between friendly and welcoming. You guys are a friendly church. Anybody experience that? Everybody's happy and smiling. I love it when new people come to Christ Church and they're like, everybody here is in such a good mood all the time. I want to hang out with these people. And so friendly is good. I'm not against, and there's some people that walk in like, no one's talking to you, right? Uh, so, so it's not like being friendly equals being holy, but there's something that's different about being friendly and being welcoming. We say that this way, uh, belonging is more important than believing. I might even add behavior because one of the ways that God's disposition towards us transformed us is because even when we were messed up, screwed up in such terrible situation, experiencing the repercussions of our own dumb, self-destructive behaviors, we experienced a God with arms open wide, didn't we? We experienced a welcoming God that didn't care what you look like, what you smelled like, where you'd been and what happened to you. And he says, come one, come all. In fact, Jesus in Luke 14 told, tells a parable and he says, there's this great feast and the people who are invited don't wanna come. They're making up dumb excuses. And so he sends his servants out to go get the people who weren't invited and they fill up, they fill up, they have all those people and there's still room. And he goes, go to the highways and the byways and the hedges. Those are where the homeless people are sleeping. He's like, I want everybody. I don't care. I don't want there to be empty seats at my table. And so go get everyone and compel them to come. And that's what the church ought to look like. Do you know that? And if we create an environment where there's a margin of people who do not feel welcome or comfortable, and instead they feel judged or scrutinized, then we're doing something wrong. Do you know that? And so this is what Jesus was getting at in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five. This is kind of a long section, but he says, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And this is the ins and the outs, right? You got the good people. You got the bad people, you got the in people, you got the out people. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What would that do but pull your enemies in towards the center so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends his reign on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? And if you greet or better translated welcome only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Therefore, you must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. You see, we have a welcoming God who invites all people into his presence and he wants everybody to come home to receive his gifts of salvation and the, the indwelling of his Holy Spirit and to give them eternal life through faith in Jesus. And he's after everyone. There's nobody that God is not passionately pursuing. And minimally, we have to be a church that everybody feels welcomed all the time. Amen. Fourthly, we're called to be a growing people. There should be transformation happening. It's, it's, I know some of you are already getting worried. You just said belonging is more important than behavior. Does that mean people can do whatever they want? You don't have to raise your hand if you felt that way, but I know some of you did. Or belief. You said belonging is more important than belief. What if they believe the wrong things? Guess what? You believe some wrong things. Everybody believes some wrong things. If you haven't changed your mind since you were 20, something's wrong. Can I get amen? We are all on a journey, and that's why the trajectory matters, not so much the proximity. But the reality is that we're also supposed to be a growing people. 
We're supposed to be being transformed into the image of Christ. We're supposed to be having our minds renewed through the washing of his word, right? And so if we're not changing, we're also doing something wrong. And so we, we say it this way, progress is more important than perfection. In the environment I grew up in, the stand, there was a standard and there wasn't perfection because of course we were religious enough to know that you couldn't be perfect. No one can be perfect. You know, you hear this in any church membership class. There's no such thing as a perfect church. You ever heard that? And if you find one, you shouldn't go there. Why? Because you'll mess it up. <laughs> there is no such thing as a perfect church. And yet it's easy to come into an environment where there's very, very clear minimum standards for behavior. And if you are below those standards, then you are going to be either judged or scrutinized, corrected, manipulated, ostracized. That happens in all sorts of religious environments. Yeah, non-religious environments. But what we're here saying is that we're trying to make progress. And so we are all aiming for perfect. Jesus just said, you must be perfect as your father is perfect, whole, complete, the big picture, right? And so we're aiming for perfection, but we're not creating a minimum standard of this is what it looks like to be a good person on the inside of the circle. Instead, we're saying it's all about the progress that you're making. And, and the reality is, is that not all of us start from the same place. This is a big contention in our world right now and one that I would have discussed at length in 2017 if it was as prominent, but there is this push in the culture out there to make it so that every single person has equal footing and equal opportunity and starts from the same place. There's this idea that it's good for everyone to have equality of outcome, irregardless of the situation. And it's just not real or possible. Do you know that? It can't happen. No one can make it happen. And if they say they can make it happen, they're lying to you. Do you know that? Because it's not about where you start. It's about, are you making movement forward? And so I'll, I'll, I'll use smoking. Some of you smoke still. <laughs> one of the things that started trouble before everybody left the church was I brought an ashtray and I put it outside the front doors next to the speaker that played the sermon because people who would come to church that didn't want to be there, they would be dragged to church by their mom or their grandma or their wife. It's always a woman dragging people to church. <laughs> and so they would use the one social out, I need a cigarette. And so I thought, well, let's put an ashtray by the speaker so at least they're still forced to listen to the sermon while they're smoking, right? <laughs> and people lost their ever-loving minds over an ashtray. They were like, you're encouraging immoral behavior, smoking. Oh. And I wanted to be like, I know him. Cigarettes are a vast improvement. Ask him what he was smoking last year. Like, can we celebrate the little things? We have forward progress here, people. Doesn't matter. God hates smokers. No, he doesn't. So progress is more important than perfection. Peter got this. Jesus said, you are Peter on this rock. I'll build my church. There's a big debate over, was the rock the statement or was the rock Peter? Because the Catholic church builds on this interpretation that this was Peter and he was the first Pope and we have Popal descent and papal descent. So there's this Peter. Peter's the foundation of the church. And then the Protestants are like, no, 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 no. It wasn't Peter. It was what Peter said. This, this belief that you are the Christ, the son of the living God, that's the rock. And the reality is it's both. It's obvious. Jesus literally went from calling him Simon Barjona to Peter Petras, stone, rock. And so yes, God works with people to build something. Do you know that? And that's why I love Peter. Peter was a numbskull. He was a loud mouth. He said, he put his, I mean, the only, Peter would literally open his mouth to change feet. That was Peter. 
okay? And isn't it encouraging that that's the kind of person that God chose to build his church with and upon? And so all of us are supposed to be making this progress. And listen to what Peter said. This is later in his life. He says, as you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So Jesus is the cornerstone. That's what Peter knew. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And so there ought to be growth. There ought to be progress. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Do you see the darkness? You see what God starts with people in darkness. And yet he's the one who shines the light into us. So he gets the credit for any transformation. Once you were not a people, now you are God's people. And once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Listen, where there's a need for mercy, there's a a failure of a person, isn't there? And so we are supposed to be a testimony of God's mercy and kindness to us, that he shone light into our dark places, that he forgave us the wrongs that we did, and that any movement, any progress, any growth has come because of his work in us. That's proclaiming the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness. Do you see it? And so we want to celebrate progress as more important than perfection. Fourthly, and this is particularly pertinent for our our leaders, or I should say fifth, I got my numbers wrong. A serving people. Somebody say a serving people. Uh, it's so funny. One of the big contentions that we went through when I was in the old church was we got we to gotta go back to the Bible. We got to have elders and deacons. How many of you guys grew up in a church that had elders and deacons? I was looking at an obituary yesterday and the guy's dead and he was deacon so-and-so. Like that was in his obituary. He was like such a part of who he was. He's a deacon. Elders and deacons. That's what everything's built upon is elders and deacons and structure and authority. And um, do you know that the word deacon literally means like table server? Like that was the word. If you were to go to Outback and the guy was dressed in black was to come to your table and be like, hey, I'm Chris, I'll be your deacon today. <laughs> that was the word that the early church used to describe their leaders. Do you know that? And somehow now it's a title of endearing that ends up on your tombstone because of your priority or your place in leadership. And so we say it this way, service is more important than status. And this is just a warning. If you're here because you think that you're going to be somebody, you're like, I could really make a name for myself in this church. You're also welcome to leave uh, until you're ready to come back and uh, wipe stuff down, okay? So um, we start people at the bottom around here. So if you want to lead, you're going to start by stacking chairs. We got t-shirts made that say, I have the gift of lift, you know, like, so you're like, I'm a, I've been teaching the Bible for 40 years. I'm like, well, grab a chair, Dolly. We'll get started right there and see how you do. Um, and Tiffany and I will tell you this, if you ever get a chance to talk to us, um, we, we are not doing this for the notoriety. We are not doing this uh, to be public figures. We are not doing this uh, for the money. Uh, we are doing this because we feel like God has called us to lead in a particular way in this way. We'll give our lives to do that. Um, but if anybody else ever comes along, or if we reach a place where we're bottlenecking the growth and the progress of Christ Church, you will find me to be the first person taking a back seat to allow this to move forward because it's not about us and it's not about you. And I know it's easy to say that when I'm the one with the microphone, but it's the truth. And so if you become a part of Christ Church, you'll recognize that we really, really, really mean it, that we are about service and not status. And so if we see people looking for status, we get our hatchet and we chop you down a couple notches. That's just a warning. I just want to be straightforward with you. Jesus said in John 13, 
knowing that the father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God. He rose from supper. He laid out laid aside his outer garment and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He has some interaction with them. And in verse 12, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place at the table, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor does a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So we're really serious about that around here. And then finally, lastly, God has called us to be a faithful people. The only way you're gonna endure as a church is to be faithful. What is required of servants is that we be found faithful. And so here's how we are going to be a faithful people. We believe all of these things so far have been something is greater than something else. Have you seen that? We're looking for a cool way to represent this graphically. But here, there's not greater than, it's equal to love and truth are equal, essential, and inseparable. Love and truth are equal, essential, and inseparable. You will find church environments where they really put an emphasis on accepting people to the point where they do not hold standards for anything. And you will find churches that hold on to the truth of what God has said so tightly that they draw such a small circle that nobody fits into it. And so you can end up in a truth only or a truth heavy environment or a love only or love heavy environment. Anybody ever experienced either? Raise your hand. Or don't, I guess, I don't know. (laughs) But these two things can never be separated. They're both essential and they are equal to one another. Um, That's why at Christ Church, you're going to get lots and lots and lots of Bible, lots and lots and lots and lots of truth, because we believe that we're nothing if we're not faithful, and faithfulness looks like holding the love of God and the truth of God, both things that personify God himself as equal, essential, and inseparable. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 says it this way. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers. These are all the teaching gifts, the leadership gifts, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to teach people how to carry out the mission of the gospel, for the building up of the body of Christ, the strengthening of the church, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. This is the progress we're talking about. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We have an example to follow. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cutting, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And there are plenty of religious environments that appear loving on the surface, but they are only following the tide and going with the course of the spirit of the air. And they are nothing more than an ocean tossing you back and forth, not tethered to anything that is true and real. And this is why we need both truth and love. And so it says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part's working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So those are our priorities. Those are the things that influence the decisions we make. This is the kind of church we're trying to be. Now, you're like, it's New Year's, day after New Year's. I came here because going back to church was on my resolution list. And all you did was talk about church the entire time. What about me? 
Well, the reality is, is that each of these things is, is God's design and desire for you personally. And I don't know where you tend to fall on either side of this spectrum, but these are all things that God has called us to walk in, in the middle with Jesus at the center of everything. And it's gonna be weird a little bit. Do you know that in Africa, during the dry season, the watering holes get smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And there are times during the season when you can see something like this. Look at this last photo. This is a lion drinking next to a zebra. Okay, typically you're not gonna find these two hanging out, all right? But it's in this environment, when everyone's moving to the center, that you may see very unlikely types of people all together at the same time in the same place. And so that's an expectation that you wanna have if you're gonna be a part of, of Christ Church. And the reality is, is that whether, no matter how far away you started, you are welcomed to come. No matter who you are, you are welcome to the table. No matter what you've been through, what you believe presently, or what behaviors you're trying to shake, God wants you to be a part of something that results in your transformation and in his glory and presents to the world the new humanity that God's calling every single person to experience. So your life matters. Your choices matter. It's not about what kind of church you go to. It's about what kind of Jesus follower you choose to be. Amen. Let me invite Tiffany to come up. She's going to share with us as we close. Okay. So I did not plan to share this morning. I didn't get much sleep last night, but I just, um, just while you were talking about our DNA, you know, just everybody loves to share their story, right? They, you guys like to, moms love to share their story about babies and how they had their baby and all that stuff. Jesse and I always laugh about that, but so I hope I make sense, but I mostly felt like the Holy Spirit wanted me just to remind you guys that we're just people. And I think the thing that I love about this church in the past seven years, hi buddy, is that we're just doing our part and there's so much grace from you guys as you guys do your part. And we have really sought not to put ourselves on a pedestal of any kind. Um, and we've done that on purpose. And it's very easy. You can be Christian celebrities, super easy. Um, but like Jesse said, that's not what we're trying to do here um, ever. This was a note that I wrote to my friend. And this is the thing where I just want you guys to see I'm human and we are just people. And Jesse gave you the facts, but I love you too, buddy. But the, the emotional um, turmoil that we have been through in the past 20 years as a couple has been deep. Um, and it's nothing that God has not got us through, but this was to my best friend Val and still is my best friend. I love you, buddy. Val, your friendship has saved my life and changed my life. Even though I've known you for 17 years and been friends with you, it wasn't until almost seven years ago when Molly was four months old, the church was falling apart and we were losing lifetime friends in the name of Jesus. I was absolutely hopeless and struggling with postpartum depression caused by all the stress. Never had postpartum depression with the other girls. I had thoughts of not even wanting to live. Just a few months prior, we were on a pastor's retreat and all seemed so good as we looked to the future. This is all facts. The church finances were down and Jesse at the time had quit taking a paycheck so that he could keep a paycheck coming for one of his best friends who also was the support pastor at the time. He was working full-time construction, handyman, and trying to lead through much conflict on the leadership team. And even though it fell apart five and a half years ago, now that would be almost seven years ago. 
God didn't leave me in pieces. He promises to bind up the brokenhearted. He tells us that his ways are not our ways. And if we seek him first, everything we need will be added to us. He promises to be near and to be our very best friend, to stand with us, fight for us, to never leave us or forsake us. His promises are our greatest comfort. His love that can never be separated from us. I'm healed and whole now, but this vow of mine loved me back into wholeness. She built me up in ways I had only been torn down. She would tell me, Tiffany, you're everything good. You're beautiful. You're doing a good job. I'm proud of you. After many months of her loving me with such purity, I actually began to believe the things she was saying and began my own personal journey of healing as well. Our friendship is pure and everything good. So this morning, where'd the other note go? You can leave with this, which is what the Lord gave me yesterday, January 1, that you are kept and you are guarded. You are kept and you are guarded. Personally, his church is kept and guarded. Judah 1, 1 to 2, Jude 1, 1 to 2 says, we are kept and guarded. So from, from Judah, a loving servant of Jesus, the anointed one and brother of James, I'm writing to the chosen ones who are wrapped in the love of, of Father God, kept and guarded for Jesus the Messiah. May God's mercy, peace, and love cascade over you. First Peter 1 Peter 1.5 says, through our faith, the mighty power of God constantly guards us until our full salvation is ready to be revealed in the last time. And then you have Jesus praying, Luke 22, 32, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus is praying all the time that our faith would not fail. He's strengthening our faith. We are kept and we are guarded. Never once will we ever walk alone, amen. There is no perfect church. We live in a house that's 100 years old. We've done so many renovations and I feel like sometimes the problem is that people expect that there's gonna be a perfect church. It does not exist. You know, just find the one where you fit. And that's what this DNA series will do. Find where you fit. And if it's not here, God has a church because he wants you to be a part of his church, wherever that is. Hey, if you're, if you're listening to all this and it's resounding with some hurt in your own heart or someone that you expected to be a good and godly person really hurt you and you've never really worked through that or just moved on and that that's being stirred up i just feel like the holy spirit's asking me to pray for you as we close and um and i wonder if you would just be so bold as just to raise your hand and just say yeah i got it i got a hard spot right there yeah it's a bunch of us <laughs> and those of us not bold enough to raise our hands too we're gonna pray for you <clears throat> God, we thank you that we we have a good shepherd. God, we have a merciful high priest and a Holy Spirit that never lets us down. God, I just pray for myself, for Tiffany, and for our friends who this morning have that old wound agitated, what we thought was going to be someone who was going to take care of us and help us and lead us and made promises and 
and hurt us or abandoned us or betrayed us. God, I just pray that you would do something. God, you, your word says that you bind up the brokenhearted. God, my, my words, my prayers can't do anything, but your Holy Spirit absolutely can. And God, I pray that in this moment, uh, you would just move in a unique way to bring healing and wholeness. And God, I thank you that you are building a place, a community, where we're taking these things seriously and we're trying to create an environment we really can love and support and care for people and have open hands and, and, and lead in a way that allows people to, to grow and to change and to know you better, and to be healed and transformed. And so God, I just pray that you would do in these moments what only you can do. Lord, I pray for anybody in my hearing that, that doesn't know you, that hasn't received your gift of life. God, I pray that, that they would be hearing your voice calling their name and they would begin a journey, not one to be afraid of what other people are going to think or what the future is going to hold, but knowing that you are the one that holds their future. And so God, we thank you that we can start this year off with faith and open hands, that we can receive everything that we need from you and walk in the plans that you have. We love you, God, and we thank you. In Jesus' mighty name, and all God's people said, and I just Amen. want to say, this has been the most joyous seven years of ministry it's that we awesome. have experienced. It's been awesome. And it's been so fantastic. I do want to just give God Nothing like glory. Um, Nothing like it. it All my favorite people stayed, so that's good. So let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if that's we right. do not give up. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Happy New Year. See you next week.